Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Um, Hey, uh, as we get started uh, this morning, um, I want to introduce to you um, uh, our partnership. And so you may notice some new people um, here today, and uh, they are part of Grace Life Baptist Church in the Christiansburg, Virginia. Yeah, yeah, you guys can give it up. And, uh, and so as you guys uh, do that, we, we have an amazing team. How many people did you guys bring? 13 people from Christiansburg, Virginia. They've been inviting hundreds of people all weekend uh, to church, and uh, they are helping out uh, right now. And here they help set up church for us this morning. They're helping at the kids' Christmas party in the back. And so, uh, so I'm really excited that they are here. And if you have not gotten a chance to meet them or thank them, for helping us start this church. Um, I hope that you'll get an opportunity to do that. But I want to introduce uh, to you guys a good friend of mine, Pastor Sean. Sean, you go ahead and come up, and you guys give him a hand as he uh, comes up. Uh, so, Pastor Sean, uh, he is, a, uh, I don't know, you're, are you a associate pastor um, at Grace Life Baptist Church and uh, in Christiansburg? Uh, Sean has really helped facilitate a lot of this partnership that we have, and he's just become a really, really great friend uh, to me and to my family, his family, to our family. Uh, We love him very much, but we've asked him to come up and just kind of share the word with us this morning and uh, share what God's put on his heart. And so I'm excited for you to get a chance to hear from him. Sean is a faithful man of the Lord. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. He loves the local church. He's been a great friend and partner uh, to Impact Church. So allow me to just pray uh, for us. And then when Pastor Sean is done, I'll come back up and lead us in our response time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Sean. Lord, I just pray that you would bless him with your spirit, with your power and your presence. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word right now to your people. Give us exactly what we need to follow you more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this morning. And um, if you would, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Malachi. Book of Malachi. If you've uh, never looked up the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. So um, if you know where Matthew is, just go back one. But um, uh, the theme today, as we've been uh, looking over the past uh, two or three weeks, the theme focusing on Christmas, today we're looking at Christmas leads us to worship. Christmas leads us to worship. And so um, Malachi seems like kind of a weird place to go uh, when we're talking about Christmas and talking about worship. Um, but there's a reason for it. And uh, hopefully that will become clear as we go uh, through this morning. Um, other pa- but if you go to uh, just kind of put your finger there in Malachi chapter 1, we're going to look at some other passages as well. Um, but you can just stay right there at Malachi because we're going to start there and then come back there and finish, finish up. But, um, you know, I actually preached on worship. I used this text, a little different message, but I used this text a few weeks ago at Grace Life because, uh, to be honest with you, I have found it hard to worship recently. You know, sometimes uh, we can just struggle 
uh, in our own time with the Lord, we can just struggle with things that are going on in life. And, um, and so sometimes even as followers of Christ, we can, we can find it difficult um, just to worship and to, uh, you know, we'll look at one, one example this morning. But, you know, if you go back and you think about the story of Mary and Martha and how Mary just sat at Jesus' feet and soaked in all that he was saying but Martha was busy doing things. You know, sometimes we just get busy and we lose sight of the worship that we should be having um, for our Father and for our Savior. And so, um, you know, and sometimes when, we, when we're struggling in those moments, we like to make excuses for it and we like to say, well, you know, it's just because of this or that. Uh, but the fact is, is when we struggle with our worship, it's a heart issue. Um, it's a, it's a matter of where we, where we are in our, in our relationship with the Lord, and it is a heart issue. And so I'm on a little journey from Malachi and then into the New Testament and looking at the birth of, of Jesus and so forth. And, and I want you to be looking at the characteristics or the ways in which some of the people we look at uh, were worshiping, okay? And, uh, you know, in a you know, with a group this size, I might even actually ask you to respond a little bit to some questions. Uh, I like the interaction, and uh, so I want you to be thinking specifically about this question, how are they worshiping? So as we go through this, I want you to, uh, to see that. How are they worshiping? So we're going to start in Malachi, and let me just kind of paint the context for you before we, keep, before we move on. So Malachi is the last Old Testament prophet. He's the last one to speak God's word to the nation of Israel before the conclusion of what we know as the Old Testament. And the uh, interesting thing is, is that the nation of Israel had been in captivity, and they came back. God brought them back out of their captivity from the Babylonian, the Persian Empire. And so they're back in Jerusalem, and they've rebuilt the temple, which is a significant thing because for the nation of Israel, I mean, their, their entire identity was tied to... Uh, being God's chosen people, being the people that have been called by God to be his people and to worship in the temple um, there in Jerusalem. And so the temple had been destroyed. They've rebuilt it. And so when Malachi is prophesying to the people, this is about 100 years or so after the return and the rebuilding of the temple. In a 100 years period of time, they've completely slipped back into their dis disobedience and rebellion against God. And so Malachi actually has a couple of positive things to say to the nation of Israel, but for the most part, all of it uh, is a rebuking of the people and their worship of God. And so as Malachi goes through and, and proclaims God's word to the people, he begins to highlight all the problems that they have with their worship. And God uses words such as, you've become weary in your worship. Um, he goes on and says that, you, you've become weary in your worship, and it's become a nuisance to you. And not only has it become a nuisance, but you've begun to, to have scorn for the fact that I'm asking you to worship me. And it concludes with, and because of this scorn, you're offering unworthy sacrifices to me. I mean, imagine the task that Malachi has been given to proclaim this judgment upon God's people. So bad has it become that God actually says in verse 10 of chapter 1, he says, I wish one of you would close the doors of the temple so you would no longer offer an unworthy fire on my altar. Can you imagine being a church 
that God says, I wish you'd just close the doors. I mean, that's a real indictment on where the people were at that time. But, you know, the same is true for us. There are those times that we can get so off track with our worship that I think that's what God is saying. You know, either, either get your worship right or let's just, let's just close the door on it. Um, and so that's where, that's kind of where Malachi is and what he's proclaiming to them. And, uh, you know, if you think about it in the big picture, here Malachi is the last prophet to preach to the nation of Israel before entering in 400 years of silence where God is not speaking to his people. And, uh, and I just, you know, I tried to process through that. Just imagine being the nation of Israel and the last words that God speaks to you through the prophet Malachi are that your worship is not right and then silence for 400 years. But the wonderful thing is, is that even when God is silent, he has not left. God is still present. God is still at work. God still has a plan and a purpose, even when he's silent. And this isn't the only time God's been silent. God was silent for 400 years while his people were in Egypt. But then they heard, he heard their cries, and he raises up Moses. We're in a period of time now for 2,000 plus years to where God is silent. He is not speaking through a prophet like he did in the day. But we know, we can see all around us the way that God is at work. God is present. God is still active. Just with the, the lives that are being transformed and the way that uh, the gospel is going, going forth. But here we see the nation of Israel. This, they've come to this point, and now there's just this silence for 400 years. But God is still at work. And as I was thinking through it, I'm like, why was God silent for 400 years? Why would there just be this this gap. But you know, God, again, is always at work. And so he's preparing for the next thing that's going to happen. He's preparing his people. He's preparing the land. He's preparing the world for what's going to happen next. And um, in Isaiah 53, verse 2, uh, Isaiah says, he grew up, this is in reference to Jesus, a prophecy of what's going to happen. He says, he grew up before him like a young plant and like a dry root out of or like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. And that's speaking of Jesus. You know, when Jesus enters into this world, there is nothing that drew people to him in his birth. It was simple. It was unnoticeable uh, for most of the world. And, and it really was a spiritually dry and desolate time for the nation of Israel because for 400 years, God has been silent. And God has been allowing everything to fall into place for Jesus to enter into this, into this world. And so, um, and so that's the neat thing is that imagine that here Malachi is proclaiming judgment on the people of Israel, 400 years of silence. But then just think about how God spoke back into the world to his people. He spoke into and broke the silence through the heavenly host appearing to the shepherds. And he broke that silence. And while most people ignored and didn't see and had no interest in this Jesus, this, the birth of this baby, these shepherds had interest. They were captivated by it. And so I want to jump ahead and look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And I'm just going to read that. And again, I want you to be listening and, and and thinking about what do we see in their worship. So in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch 
at night over their flocks. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that, joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be a sign for you. You will be a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. It's amazing story, amazing recount of how God has broken the silence uh, through this, through the, through the heavenly host, through these angels. And so, what do you see in this in this account? What do you see as far as these individuals, their worship? What characteristics do you see of their worship? Feel free to speak up. Fear, yes. Shepherds were were afraid, and the angels even said, "Do not be afraid." We see that very often when angels show up. Don't be afraid. What else do we see about their worship? Yeah, they went and saw it. It says, the text actually says they immediately went. They spoke and they immediately spoke about going and they immediately went. So yeah, in our worship, there needs to be an immediacy in our, in our response to God. What else do you see in their worship? Yeah, <laughs> did have some music going on, right? So had the, the, the proclaiming and the, and the singing of praises. We also see, too, that when they went, they shared all of this with Mary and Joseph. And what does it say that Mary did? Mary treasured it all in her heart. So there's this aspect of meditation and this aspect of taking it and, and pondering all that, that we've seen and, and heard. Uh, it also talks about how the shepherds went and they shared with everyone, and everyone who heard their testimony was amazed by it. And so... There's different aspects here, just the praise, the fear, the immediacy of going and responding, uh, the meditation upon it. Uh, so a lot of different aspects of worship that we, we see in this passage. Um, this comes from Matthew. But I want to jump ahead again and now to the, to the wise men. So this comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 2 uh, and 10 through 11. So Matthew chapter 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And so this is where he's, they're talking to Herod, and Herod's there's some dialogue there. And then jumping ahead to verse 10, they continue on their journey. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed behind, beyond measure. Because they had settled over them, they, uh, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What aspects of worship do you see in, in that account? Joy, yes, there was joy. 
What's that? Gratefulness. Good. Yeah. Yeah, the wise men fell down before him. Gave gifts. Yeah. And these weren't cheap gifts. It was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They were, they were gifts for a king. Think, too, in terms of how far the Koreans believe that they're traveling from the area of Iraq or Iran. And so, uh, so they're traveling 400 miles or so. And, uh, you know, no one's quite sure exactly when they showed up. But, you know, people estimate this is anywhere from a two-week to a month-long journey for them as they're, as they're following this, this star. And so um, there's, there's commitments. There's, there's a, 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 a determination in traveling this distance to, to, to come and to see Jesus. All right, so now I want to jump towards the end of Jesus' ministry and look at a case of worship there. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. So this is, uh, I'd reference when Jesus goes to the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Um, and so Jesus has this one encounter with them where Mary's sitting at his feet. Martha's working frantically, and Martha's gotten upset that Mary's just sitting there and not helping with everything. Well, this is another encounter that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have with Jesus. And this account is actually paralleled in the book of Mark and the book of John. And so when you read all three of them, you get a bigger picture of, of what's taking place. But there in Matthew chapter 26, it says, While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, Mary approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table, anointed his feet with the oil, and wiped his feet with her hair. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware, aware of this, said to them, why are, you why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you, do not always have me. you will not always have me. By pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she has prepared me for burial. I assure you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. What do you see in the worship in this passage? Great sacrifice, yep. It's, uh, it's estimated that that, uh, that oil could have cost 300 days wages. Now, can you imagine giving up a year's worth of salary uh, as a gift? What else do we see in this worship? She was unashamed, yeah. She was unashamed. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I mean, just imagine kind of the, maybe the awkwardness that was there that everyone's reclining around the table, uh, fellowshipping one with one another, and here comes Mary and begins in the middle of this to anoint Jesus with oil and then to wipe his feet with her hair. What else? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they they were getting upset of the of the waste and what she was doing, but Jesus says, "Listen, she's doing a noble thing. She's preparing my she's preparing me for my burial." Um what do you think uh what do you think about her wiping his feet with her hair? What's that? 
is pretty intimate. And yeah, and if you uh, if you look in First Corinthians chapter eleven verse fifteen, it talks about a woman's hair being her glory. So what significance does it have that if that's if the hair of a woman is her glory, and she's wiping his feet with her hair, what does that say about her? Yeah, submission. She's she's setting aside her glory and and an important part of who she is, and she's submitting that to Jesus and wiping his feet with her hair. So all of this, we've seen some great examples of worship in these different accounts. Now I want us to jump back to Malachi, okay? So remember, Malachi has been telling the people of Israel that, listen, you've You've blown it, and God is has gotten God is so upset with the lack of worship that He wants them to shut the temple doors and no longer offer up a half-hearted worship to Him. And so, I want us to look, uh, starting in verse uh, six. I'm going to read a little bit of the text here. Verse six, chapter one of the book of Malachi. It says, "A son honors his father, and a servant his master." But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we, how have we defiled you, you ask? When you, uh, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Some translations go the extra mile and don't say wrong, but say evil. And that's a better understanding of, of this, is that they're offering up a, a sacrifice that is unworthy. It's not just wrong, but it's, it's evil. And so he goes on and down in verse 10, then he says, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of armies. I will accept no offering from your hands. And so I think this is a good parallel to, to look in the New Testament and to see the acts of worship of these individuals, the submission, the humility, the, uh, the, the pouring out of good gifts to Jesus in contrast to what we see here in the book of Malachi. And so the first thing I want us to look at is that, you know, God is, God is answering or addressing these issues through, through, through some questions. And so the first one in verse 6, he says, If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a father, where is my honor? And, you know, father's a, a great word. You know, unfortunately, here on earth, not all earthly fathers paint a good example of what a father should be. But in God's design, the father was to be uh, someone who, you know, would, loves their family, who protects their family, who provides for their family, who provides leadership um, to their family. You know, Jesus is the good father. He watches over us. He cares for us. He protects us. He guides us. He disciplines us when it's needed. That's what our earthly father is supposed to do. But it does paint a picture for us of, of what that relationship is. And we see throughout Scripture that for that father, as they raise their children, the children are to honor their parents, to honor their father. And so uh, even John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, says, But to all who received, who did receive him, who received Christ, he gave them the right to be children of God. God, through Christ Jesus, has made us his children. 
So he provides for us. He cares for us. He brings discipline when it's needed. And so Jesus is saying, or God is saying here, you are my children, so where is my honor that I'm deserving of? Uh, Mark uh, talks about this in chapter 7. He says, um, he talks about how we're not just to give lip service in our honor to God, but it's to be through our actions as well. I mean, how many of you have raised kids, are raising kids, uh, and you've had those moments to where you may have gotten lip service from your kids, but you didn't really get obedience, you know? Uh, there are those times as you're raising kids, you know, you'll get that fine, but you know on the inside they're still rebelling against what you're, you're saying. And so that's what, that's what um, Mark is saying here, is that it's not just about lip service, uh, but it's about true honor and submission. And so as we look at this and look at what God is saying here, and we look at those examples from the New Testament, you know, who showed honor? Well, the wise men showed honor. These were, these were learned men who brought great gifts, but they knelt down before him, recognizing through all the prophecies that they're aware of that, that this was the king of the Jews. And so they knelt down and showed him honor. Or you look at Mary and the way that she showed honor and, and giving up a great gift, but then to submit herself and wipe, wipe his feet with her hair. And so as we look at this, when it comes to our worship, God is worthy of our honor. God is worthy of our honor to understand who he is in our relationship to him. But he goes on in the second part of verse 6, he says, If I am master, where is my fear? Where is my fear? And this idea of master is really interesting because um, this is a word of, of dedication and uh, in, um, in bond. So for a disciple uh, to call, um, you know, their dis- uh, a disciple would call their teacher their master. I mean, our, th- we can see in Scripture where the, even uh, the disciples called Jesus master. Uh, within the culture, those who were studying uh, under a rabbi would call them master. They, they recognized that they were bound to that individual because they were the master who was instructing them and teaching them. Uh, Paul talks over and over again in Scripture in his letters. He, Paul talks about how he's a slave or a bondservant of Christ. And, you know, when we think about this is that Paul talks about that, being a bondservant of Christ. And so in our context, we think, well, gosh, being a slave to somebody, to be a bondservant isn't a good thing. But Paul is making, a, is clarifying here, listen, we are dead in our sins we are in bondage to sin without christ jesus i mean we were prior to jesus or without jesus we are in bondage to sin we are in bondage to self with no life no hope no joy but jesus bought us with a price with his shed blood jesus died on the cross for us so that we would no longer be a slave to sin but we could be a slave to Christ Jesus. But being a slave to Christ is not the same as being in bondage or being a slave to sin. Being a slave to Jesus means that we have been redeemed, we've been bought out of that, and with that, we have life, we have hope, we have joy, we have everything that we did not have apart from Jesus. And so God is saying, if I'm your, 
if I am master, where is my fear? Where's, and we're not talking about a cowering fear under the hand of a vengeful God. We're talking about reverence and submission and awe and respect. And we see that in those New Testament passages. We see the shepherd with that fear, with this just amazement and awe. We see the fear uh, as far as the, the respect and the honor to where they wanted to go immediate, immediately and see what it is that they've been, been told. We see the, the, the reverence and awe in the wise men and, and how they traveled over and knelt. I mean, these are wise men who people showed them honor, yet they submitted themselves before Jesus, an infant who had no, you know, earthly bearing whatsoever at this point. And so as we look at this, not only do we see that God is worthy of our honor, but he is worthy of our awe and our reverence. And the final point I want us to look at is that Jesus then asked the question down in verse 7 and verse 8, and he's talking about their, their sacrifice, their offering, and he says, if you offer sick and blind animals for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you go down and look in verse 14, at the end of that uh, verse, God says that he is a great king worthy of worship. And the gifts that we offer is an indication of our worship. It is a, an indication of our, our understanding that, that God is worthy of that worship. And so in, in this context, God is talking to them through Malachi and saying, listen, you're offering up unworthy sacrifices. You're offering up inferior sacrifices. Crazy thing is, if you read through the whole chapter, they're offering up lame, sick, and blind sacrifices. If you keep reading, they even offer stolen sacrifices. They weren't even offering up their own sacrifice, but stealing it from others and putting that forward for their sacrifice. But the thing is, these aren't sacrifices at all. There was no sacrifice in what they were offering up. And this is not what God, what God wanted. And God even says in this passage, he says, you wouldn't even offer this to the governor of the land because the governor would reject it. So why are you offering this up to me? Do you not think I'm going to reject this as well? There's no sacrifice. It's not costing you anything to give the worst of what you have or even to steal from someone else. Why would I want that? You're giving me what you don't want. Great account back in saying, giving me your best. Uh, there's a great account back in 2 Samuel where David wants to offer up a burnt offering to God because of a plague that's, uh, that's affecting the nation. And so he goes to a man by the name of Arana, and he says, I want to purchase your threshing floor so that I can build an altar and offer this burnt offering. And, um, and so David wants to honor the Lord. He wants to worship the Lord. Uh, but Arana is an honorable man, too, and he wants to honor his king. And so he says, listen, you don't have to buy it. I will give you the threshing floor. I'll give you the bull to sacrifice. I'll give you the, wo the wood that you need. And David says, no. He says, I'm going to purchase it from you. And this is what David says. No, I insist on buying it. I will not offer a burnt offering to God that costs me nothing. I will not offer an offering or a burnt offering that costs me nothing. But how often in our worship is our worship insufficient 
how often or what we're offering up cost us nothing. And for the people of, of Malachi's day, they were just thinking about the here and now. They were thinking about the temple. What can I give that's not going to cost me anything so I can keep this for myself? They weren't thinking in terms of the eternal. They weren't thinking in terms of what this meant in my worship of God and my honoring of God. But they were just looking out for themselves in that moment. I mean, how often does that affect our thinking as we, as we look at whether it's, you know, Christmas offering or our, our tithes on a regular basis? How often we say, well, can I, can I do that? What's that going to do to my budget? Or what, what will I have to sacrifice for that to happen? Or, you know, what, is it going to be too great of a sacrifice if I go to Greece or if, or I, or if I go to Guatemala? And so often we allow the temporal things of this world to dictate what we're willing to commit ourselves to as we serve the Lord. But most importantly, as God has always called for, from the time that he instituted these offerings, he has called for a, a perfect, blemishless sacrifice, not because of what he needed, but as an example of the perfect sacrifice who would be Jesus. And so by them offering up something less than perfect, it wasn't just a matter of their disobedience to what God had ordained, but it was a matter of disregarding this perfect lamb that would come 400, later, 400 years later. And so God is saying, I'm not interested in secondhand or second-rate offerings. I'm interested in your best, ones that paint a picture of the spotless lamb who's going to come to save the world. And so that's where he says, I wish one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would no longer offer useless tithes. And so as we look at this and the importance of the gifts that we offer up, we see that in parallel with the shepherds. I mean, the shepherds didn't have anything, but what they did have to offer was themselves. And so they immediately went to see what it was that they had heard about. The wise men offered up good gifts worthy of a king, and so they brought those. Mary offers up her own glory in, in using her hair to wipe the feet of, of Jesus. And so each one of these is, a, is an indication of submission and, a, and an indication of, of the worthiness of the recipient. And so God is worthy of our honor. He is worthy of our, our awe and reverence, and he is worthy of our best gifts. So as we kind of wrap up this morning, I want us to think about that. What does that mean for us to offer up our best gifts? You know, God gave his best gift to us in Jesus. We can sit here redeemed, knowing that we have hope, that we have eternal life, that we are no longer a slave to sin because of the gift of Jesus. And so he is, God is worthy, Jesus is worthy of receiving our best gifts. And so what does that look like? Our worship is not just about what we do here on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, sometimes we talk about worship being the, the music that we're singing. We talk about that as being our worship time. Or we talk about the service that we do on Sunday being worship. But worship is everything that we do in the name of Jesus. The scripture tells us that do all things as unto the Lord. So every time we do something unto the Lord, whether it's at work, in our families, whatever it is, that is worship. 
And so I just want to give you some thoughts on, on that. When we worship through the use of our time, talents, and treasures, how are you applying the, those things that God has blessed you with? How are you using your time? How are you using the, the gifts that he has given to you? How are you using your finances? You know, there's an old saying that someone's checkbook and calendar tell you where their priorities are. And so what are your priorities? We worship through godly leadership of our families in our church and our workplace. And so what are you doing to, to lead in a godly way in those different, different settings? We also worship through honoring our marriages, to recognizing that that is a, uh, a relationship that's been bound together in the eyes of God. And so we honor that, that relationship. We worship through discipling our kids, investing in time to raise them in a godly home. Um, you know, the church plays an important part of, of teaching our, our children to love the Lord. But first and foremost, that responsibility is, is ours as parents. And so what are we doing to disciple our children? We worship through living out the fruit of the Spirit, showing mercy and compassion and long-suffering and, and goodness. And then we also worship through living missionally, where we, we look and see the Great Commission not just as a as an idea or a command on a piece of paper and a book, but the, we look and, and see the Great Commission as the task that we have before us each and every day. And so when we begin to struggle with obedience to what God has called us to, or we struggle with living missionally, when we struggle with going out and reaching the lost for Christ, that's an obedience issue. That's a worship issue for us. And so will we offer our best to the Lord? Will we offer our, ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord? Paul asks us that, or tells us that in Romans 12, 1 through 2. He, he talks about how we are, are to be those living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. He says, this is your true act of worship. And that's what Mary did. Mary presented herself as a living sacrifice. And so as we think about that, I just want to encourage us to look at the way in which we can worship our Savior this Christmas season. Uh, I know for me that it's, there's so much that goes on at Christmas time, thinking of family and mission trips and all kinds of things, and it's very easy to become distracted and lose sight of, of why we do what we do at this time of, of the year, and that's to worship our Savior, to worship this baby who was sent to us as the best gift ever. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we thank you for the fact that, that we can learn both from the rebuking that we see from the wise men and the shepherds and from Mary. Father, may we be faithful to be to be honoring to you, Lord, knowing that, that you are our Father, you have redeemed us, you have called us out of sin, and Lord, that, that you are worthy of our honor, not just because of what you've done, but because of who you are. Father, may we remember that you are deserving of awe and reverence, 
just amazed at your goodness and that you would see fit to love us, that you would see fit to to send Jesus, to, to have him step down out of heaven, to, to take on flesh that we might have eternal life. And Father, you are worthy of our best gifts. And so Lord, we pray that, that we would be faithful in offering up our very best to you. Lord, our desire is that you would always find our offering find our worship, find our sacrifices worthy. And so, Father, we just give you the the glory and the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord some praise. You need to leave that right there. Yeah, thanks, man. Um. Pastor Sean, thank you so much. We're going to enter now into what we call our response time. And <clears throat> over the last few weeks, um, as we've talked about Christmas during this Advent season, we've talked about how Christmas compels us to reach out. And one of the ways we do that is through our, our offerings and our generosity. Um, last week, we talked about how Christmas reaches inside of us, affects our emotional health, our mental health, our spiritual health. <clears throat> Today you heard a message from Pastor Sean from God's Word about how Christmas compels us to reach up, to worship the Lord with all we have. And I love that it wasn't about just bringing our money, it's about bringing our lives before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.